Hey, welcome to the VU Church Podcast. When life presses in, what comes out? Today, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. kicks off a new collection of talks, The Art of Joy, Life Lessons from Philippians, sharing three practical ways we can lead lives of joy. Let's lean into the message together. Today we are uh, starting this six-week collection entitled The Art of Joy. And if you're taking notes today, that really is the title that I want to preach from, The Art of Joy. It's really an introduction sermon to where we're going to be going and where we're going to be headed. And um, what I'd really encourage you with is that I like it because every so often in our church, we do these book studies, probably two a year. And we really just take the Bible and we preach what the Bible says, kind of verse by verse, line by line, pulling out sections. And part of it is it's a great study time for you. And so our team does a lot of work to help you with your summer reading of the Bible and even devotional style. And so vuchurch.com slash journal. I know Manu mentioned it, but it's so cool. This is the first time we've done this digitally. And what it does is it's going to file and keep your soap journal so that when you get done after this summer, you're going to have a record of all that you've written, all that you've read, all that you've prayed. I think it's something great to, to kind of keep near and dear towards your heart because it, it's going to build your faith. Um, but today, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. This week, you'll be reading Philippians chapter 1. I, I want to teach from the first 11 verses, and we'll, we'll take a moment to get there. Um, but how many of y'all know, um, so often in life, we don't know what's inside of you until you get squeezed? <laughs> um, there's something in all of us, but we don't really discover what's in us until pressure is applied to us. I got home last night. Uh, from ministry this week, and I, I came into the house, and my little boys, Wyatt and Wild, are like, Dad, Dad, orange juice, orange juice, orange juice. And so I, I poured a glass of orange juice, and Wyatt took a sip, and he goes, Ooh, so sweet. But <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, when life squeezes you, what comes out? Something sweet or something sour? Because the truth of the matter is, the fruit of the Spirit, the first two fruit, is love and joy. And as believers, when we face pressure in this world, when this world tries to squeeze us, I think the first thing that ought to come out of us is love and joy. Anyone out there, um, you've got a joyful friend? Just wave at me. I'm not even asking you if you're joyful. You've got a joyful friend, okay? Let's just ease into this conversation. Um, <laughs> you know that friend that's so positive, they almost make you negative? <laughs> we all need that person in our life. Um, I've told many stories before, but that, that for me is my dad. My dad is just happy, okay? Like he's just, dude's happy. You could fall into a hole with my dad and he goes, this is great. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not. We're in a hole. He's like, this is great, son. We're in a hole together. <laughs> in my whole life, I had a front row seat to somebody who was walking in the joy of the Lord positivity, a positive outlook, he would take every negative thing and somehow turn it into a positive thing. I remember in seventh grade, um, a lot of you don't know this, uh, I, I was an incredible athlete. I know there was a lot of jokes made during the conference. <laughs> Shut up. And um, about my water polo sport, but God bless it, water polo is difficult. I'm not going to, that's another message. But um, when I was in junior high, I was, I, was a, I was a baller, you know, I wish I was a little bit taller, but I was a baller. And um, <laughs> played a lot of basketball. In seventh grade, I was, I, was, I was going out to make the team. Sixth grade, I'd made the JV squad. Seventh grade was my year to, to make the varsity squad. And I'll never forget it. I go and I try out and um, I didn't make varsity. I, I, I made JV. And I was, like when I tell you I was, dev I was devastated. I came home like, 
I'm like, dad, it's not fair, man. Like I didn't make varsity. I'll never forget my dad. Son, this is great. I'm like, what do you mean this is great? He's like, don't you know, Michael Jordan was cut from his first squad as well. I'm like, does this man really think I'm Michael Jordan? (laughs) He goes, this is great, son. Now you're going to be on the JV team, but you're older, and all those boys are going to be looking for a leader. And guess who the leader is, son? You're going to be the leader. This is great. I was like, yeah, this is is great. I'm going to be the leader. (laughs) And so I went to our first practice, and it was bad, bro. We were short and slow. We couldn't shoot. We couldn't pass. We couldn't dribble. I came home. I said, Dad, this is awful. The team, we're not going to win a single game this year. We're short and slow. Dad goes, this is great. (laughs) Short and slow. Rich, don't you understand? People are going to think because you're short that you're going to be fast, but you're not fast. You're slow. It's going to be misdirection, man. This is great. I'm like, short and slow. This is great, you know? Game one, we get annihilated. I go, Dad, this is awful. We just got beat so bad. He said, son, this is great. (laughs) It's not how you start. It's how you finish, son. (laughs) Game two, we got beat again. I said, Dad, this is awful. He goes, Rich, come on. Third time's a charm. This is great. Fourth game, we get beat. Fifth game, we get beat. Sixth game, we get beat. There's only seven games in the season. The sixth game, I'm like, Dad, this is awful. We have lo- we're going to lose every game this season. We are, this is not, you've been saying this is great. This is not great. He said, son, this is great. <laughs> Sometimes God has to set you back in order to bring a comeback. Ooh, this is going to be a story, son. The battle is the Lord's. <laughs> I'm walking into my seventh grade, seventh game of the season thinking this is like spiritual warfare, you know? <laughs> seventh game, we got beat worse than any game of the season. <laughs> I said, Dad. He said, son, this is great. Baseball's right around the corner. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I'm talking about somebody who's so positive. It almost makes you negative. As a young man, I, I think I took for granted what my dad had. I think as a young man, I thought my dad was just mind over matter, just a happy guy, just a personality that's just happy. But what I've come to discover at 38 years of age is that my dad actually had the joy of the Lord. And I'm actually praying for our church over the next six weeks that as we dive into this little book of the Bible, this little letter, that we too would walk out of here with the joy of the Lord. How many out there, you could use some more joy in 2022? How many of y'all, you could get the joy of the Lord going in your life that you would say, man, I might be going through some difficult stuff, but I want God's joy. Philippians is an amazing little book of the Bible, only 104 verses, but 16 different times in those 104 verses, Paul will use the word rejoice or joy. It's called the happiest book in the Bible. Paul never mentions the word sin, but rather he is projecting and he is testifying about the joy of the Lord. And what is so powerful and potent about the letter is not just what he's saying, but where he is saying it from. For Paul writes this entire letter to the church in Philippi from a prison cell awaiting his execution. I think there's much for us to learn today as we study it. And I was thinking to myself, This is the book of Philippians, the art of joy, how to stay sweet when life sucks. 
That's not the subtitle because that's really mean, but that's what I think we're going to learn for the next six weeks. And so let's just read this first opening text if we can together. I believe there's power in God's word. And so uh, whether I whisper it, shout it, there's something powerful about the words written in the Bible. Philippians chapter one, starting in verse one, I'm gonna read the entire text and make a couple just basic observations to get us into this conversation. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident, someone saying being confident. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled, watch this, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you believe it, someone said amen. Amen. Today, as we jump into this first passage, whenever you start a book study, it's always important that you get some good context going. Uh, Hermeneutics, the interpretation of scripture, requires some context. And so some basic context, whenever you start studying a book of the Bible, This little letter is very, very short. Probably takes you 15 minutes to read. We have got some assigned reading, but I would encourage you to leave today and just read all four chapters and then begin to zero in on certain verses as we go through the study. But it's important to get the background. So like, who's writing this? Let me tell you who's writing this. It's the Apostle Paul. And I just, every time we bring up the Apostle Paul's name, it's important that all of us just stop and pause and recognize who this dude is. Because before this guy was Paul, he was Saul and he was a bad guy. Saul, in Acts chapter 9, has an encounter with Jesus. He is completely transformed as he has one moment in the presence of Jesus because before his conversion, he was killing Christians. He shows up on the scene in the book of Acts when he is there for the very first martyr of Stephen. Stephen is preaching Jesus, and the Pharisees pick up stones, and they throw them at Stephen to kill him. And Paul, formerly known as Saul, he's there. Guess what he's doing? He's holding the coats of the Pharisees, congratulating them as they kill a Christian. From there, he gets even more full of self-righteous. He himself goes, and he persecutes believers. I just think it's important that we stop and recognize who the author is because this author ends up writing the majority of the New Testament. I want you to see it today that I don't care how creative you have been with your sins. I don't care how much you have sinned. I don't care how far you think you have gone. Come on, anybody thankful that you are not too far from the grace of God? If he could take Paul and take him from being a Christian killer to writer of the New Testament, certainly he can use you. So I just find a praise break in just recognizing the guy who's teaching us today probably sinned in some categories that you haven't even thought of yet. You walked in here going, I don't belong. I can't be at church. I've done too many bad things. 
And all the while, here's Paul. This dude was killing Christians. God says, I can use you. There is no sin too big for God's grace. And if we're gonna champion a message and if we're gonna herald some news, come on, let it be the good news. Come on, somebody. Let it be the good news of the gospel. He's writing to the church in Philippi. So fascinating. The last time I got to come and preach to our church, last Sunday we were gathered at the Watsco. We heard from Pastor Chad Veach. The last time I, I, I got to preach to you was the, 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 the eighth installment of a collection we were in called This Is Vu, This Is Us. And I preached, remember, from Acts chapter 16. My faith was built for this. Here's what's fascinating. Acts chapter 16 is the birth of the church in Philippi. So remember Paul, he's arrested and he's in prison. So he is now writing a letter back to all those people that we learned about in Acts chapter 16. It's funny because Paul, as he's writing to the church in Philippi that we find in Acts chapter 16, remember in Acts chapter 16, he's in prison? Well, here again now in Philippians chapter one, he's in prison again. So where he's writing from, the setting that he's writing from is from a dingy jail cell. It's amazing, right? Because it seems like men of God find themselves falsely accused and find themselves in situations that do not look appealing nor pleasant, yet many times they are there for doing the right thing. And Paul, he, he, he writes from a prison cell to this church in Philippi, and he has one overarching theme, which is joy. That when his life is being squeezed, it's not sour what's coming out of him, it's sweet. And what you'll discover, and we'll see this, and we're going we're gonna to tap into so many of these, these threads throughout this collection. Um, what you will see is over and over again that this joy that we're talking about is different from happiness. I'm all about you being happy, but like, I don't think life is about the pursuit of happiness. I know that sells well. I know it was a great movie. I know we all want to be happy. I'm not against being happy. I, I just think happiness is based on happenings. And I don't get to control everything that happens to me. Joy is not cheap. Joy, more often than not, is found in the dark places of suffering. It's found in the deep valleys when I don't get to control what's happening to me, but I'm going to make a decision right here, right now, that I can discover the joy of the Lord. And some of you, for the next six weeks, it's time that you get your joy back. The enemy has robbed you of so much stuff. He can rob you of things. He can rob you of stuff. He doesn't get to have your joy also. You give that up. The other day I was, I was traveling and listen, God bless it, but it was, there was a line, you know, and God bless flight attendants. God bless them, you know. Flight attendants, don't get no, they don't get no love in 2022, okay? I know it's tough out there being a flight. Thank God for all the flight attendants at Vujur. We love you. God bless you. I know it's, look, look at people like, I can't clap for that. I cannot. I have been persecuted one too many times, and um, I share your pain. I, I was having a bit of a moment, and this person was not showering with God's love at all. And um, God bless them. God bless them. God, oh God, I, I love you from a distance. Um, <laughs> but I was like getting irritated, the line and the person. But finally in the midst of it, I said, you know what? You can't steal my joy. You can delay me. You can make me miss a flight. You can be rude to me, but baby, you're not taking my joy. And some of you need to get a revelation in this collection that all hell can be breaking loose around you. But I'm telling you what, the devil can't steal your joy. I'm not giving you that as well. Come on, somebody, give God some praise. 
Joy is a choice and joy comes from having a proper order in our perspective. I grew up going to church and in my Sunday school class, there was a little sign on the door and it was an acronym for joy. And I know it's simple, but it preaches really good. It said, J was for Jesus, O is for others, and Y is for you. And what you will discover about the Apostle Paul in this letter is that his joy is coming from first and foremost, my salvation in Christ. This setting and this circumstance looks pretty awful, but I have a secure eternity in Jesus and I have not lost the joy of my salvation. And now what he'll say is, he's then now gonna shift his focus off of Jesus onto other people. He talks about the partnership with other people in the gospel. And as he gets Jesus in his proper order, and as he puts others before himself, I know it's counterculture, he finally lands on himself and the, the squeezing and the pressure produces joy. And many of us in the room, the reason why we don't walk in joy is because we think about ourselves and we kind of think about Jesus. And then finally we're like, let me think about other people. And what you will see that Paul does throughout this letter is he makes the order right. Jesus, others, you. Paul is writing from a very unpleasant place. It's not a pleasant place that he's in, in a prison cell. But just because he's not in a position that he likes, it doesn't rob him of a powerful posture. And the posture we discover right here in the very first chapter is a posture of prayer. And he says, I want to pray with joy. I think we pray with all sorts of different thoughts. Maybe you pray the prayer of faith. Maybe you pray out of suffering. Maybe you pray in anxiety. Maybe you pray in fear. All those things are good. But friends, if you want to have joy in your life, you're gonna have to learn how to pray with joy. I don't just wanna always go into God's throne room when something's wrong. I wanna make sure that I'm disciplining my life to pray with joy. Come on, anybody wanna pray with joy this summer? Come on, somebody, let's, let's just kind of change the atmosphere. I wanna pray with joy. I want to pray with joy. Rich, how do I pray with joy? Let's just, let's just see this simple pattern. I'm just going to walk through these 11 verses, and you're going to see this. I'm just going to make a couple observations, and I think that these observations will lay as a great foundation as we get into some specific areas. Next week, I'm going to talk about perseverance. I'm going to talk about suffering. But before we get there, let's just, how do we pray with joy? If I want to maintain a posture of power, even though my position in life at times can suck, I can stay sweet because I can pray with joy. So how do we pray with joy? Number one, remember what God did. Remember what God did. This is really simple, but I'm here as the chief reminding officer this weekend. <laughs> Philippians chapter one, verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I thank my God every time I think about you, as I remember you, I get thankful. And as I get thankful, I get joyful. This is so important that we as believers, if we're having a difficult time finding our joy, if we're losing our joy, if joy is not coming out of us, maybe it's because we have forgotten all that God has done. And every one of us, we need to pause and we need to stop and we just need to go down memory lane and remind ourselves of the faithfulness, the goodness of God. I stand as a testimony and as a witness that God is good. 
I don't like every position I find myself in life today, but when I look backwards, I can't help but remember that God is faithful and and being reminded that he's faithful, I get thankful. And as I get thankful, baby, I get joyful. Here's what's amazing. Joy is not some feeling that's shallow. Like, oh my goodness, we have the joy of the Lord. (laughs) Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Maybe you're thinking about quitting today because you don't have joy today. And maybe if you could get your joy back, you would find strength for tomorrow. Well, how do I find strength for tomorrow? You remember his goodness of yesterday. Listen to me. Gratitude is the seed of joy. We're going to preach this all summer long. If you don't want to be reminded to be grateful, skip voo this summer. (laughs) Because when I start thanking God for what he's done, I'm planting seeds in the ground that will reap a harvest of joy. Gratitude is a gateway drug for joy. You want to get high on joy? Start getting grateful. You just stumble into it. Wow, I don't know how I ended up here. I know how you got there. You started smoking some of that gratitude. You started snorting thankfulness. Hello. (laughs) And joy starts showing up. Look at what he is doing. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. Now, can we just be really specific for a moment? Because I don't want you just to like get lost in these. I want you to think about what he's doing. He's in a prison cell awaiting his execution. Almost every scholar agrees this is the last prison cell he waits in before they execute him in Rome. This is what they most believe. There's some other conversations that could be in another prison cell, but either which way, he's being persecuted. He's in a really bad position, but his posture is the prayer of joy. And he does so when he says, I remember you. Now, who is you? Like, who is you? Is he thinking about you and me? He's not thinking about you and me. He's thinking about specific people in Philippi. Who, Rich? Well, go back to Acts chapter 16. Remember the first person he encounters? His first convert that we actually have recorded is a demoniac girl. She's possessed by a demon and she can foretell the future and she's saying the right thing, but she's got the wrong spirit. And finally, a Paul, he gets annoyed one day. He casts the spirit out of her and immediately she's liberated. I think he's in that prison cell reminding himself about the day that the girl with the demon got set free. And when he thinks about the miracle of God in his life, he starts getting joyful. It's not just her. He starts thinking about Lydia. Remember, Lydia is the house that he goes back to. Lydia, as we know in church history, was a dealer of purple and textiles. She was a very influential, affluential woman. In fact, the church in Philippi used to gather in her house and she was known to resource the church. Ain't that beautiful? Women have been resourcing the work of Jesus for the last 2,000 years, making a way for other people to come in and meet Jesus. I think he's thinking about Lydia, going, wow, Lydia and her generosity, and Lydia and leveraging her resource, and Lydia opening our home so we could gather, even though it might cost her persecution. Whew. I think he starts thinking about, remember he gets thrown in prison for casting that demon out of the girl. He goes to the prison cell, him and Paul and Silas. I just preached about it a couple weeks ago. They got stocks on. They're there. I don't know if they can sing on key, but they're singing something brick by brick, day by day. And the scripture says the ground begins to shake. And as the earth begins to shake, the prison doors open up. Let me just, it was so good a couple weeks ago. Let me preach it again. Do not curse the shaking. 
So often, it's not about the shaking. The shaking is simply a means to open some doors in our lives. Come on, anybody grateful today for the trial? Anybody grateful today for the tribulation? Anybody grateful today for the pain? I got a feeling liberation's coming. And they walk out of there, and there's a jailer is about to kill himself because he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be killed for letting the prisoners go. Paul's like, no, 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 we're all here. And the jailer's like, you're still here? You didn't leave me? He's like, come to my house. He comes to the house, and the entire household gets saved, and they get baptized by water. I think Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's like, I'm, I'm remembering what God did. God's been faithful. God has moved mightily, and I am grateful. I'm thinking about Jesus, and I'm thinking about others. And I can't help but pray with joy as I remember what God has done. There's a scripture in Philippians, we'll get to it in a few weeks ago. He says, Paul says, I forget the former things. And many people will always use that passage to say, just forget about the past. And it's not a true interpretation because what he's actually saying to forget about is all of his accolades, all of his pedigree, all of his religious work. He's like, I I forget that stuff. I strive towards the prize that Jesus is calling me heavenward. You and I, as the people of God, if we do not want our faith to suffer, if we want to operate with a spirit of joy, when pressures hit us, when life squeezes us, we need to set up memorial stones of God's faithfulness, God's mercy. Come on, anybody grateful for what God has done in your life? If it wasn't for Jesus, I would have been destroyed. Paul's like, I was killing Christians. And then Jesus intervened in my life. I know I'm in a prison cell today, but I've never been more free in my entire life. I'm not living for right now. I'm living for when I am joined with my Savior. And therefore, although I am facing pressure, joy and sweetness comes out of my life. Man, I start thinking about our church. Yeah, we're in difficult days, but man, every time my joy seems to be robbed or missing, I just go back and just start thinking about what God has done. I think about the lives that have been transformed by the preaching of the gospel, not because of a man, but because of the power of God's word. I've watched marriages be restored. I've watched teenagers who were far from God come back to God. God has been faith. I remember when we were starting this thing and we couldn't find a place to meet. And all of a sudden the Miami Rescue Mission was like, yo, you can gather in our place. And we were like, Jehovah Jireh, he is a provider. We started building a church in the rescue mission. It started to grow. And they're like, we don't know where to go. We can't find any place to gather. And one day we're driving on I-95 and it's like God put a spotlight on Jose de Diego Middle School. And we walked in. In fact, we broke in. We found there was an auditorium. We're like, this is God. And before you know it, we launched with the service. But God was faithful. It wasn't one service. It was two services and three services and four services and five, six services on a Sunday. God just keeps making a way. Anytime I don't have joy for today, I just remember what God did in the past. And as I remember, I get thankful. And as I get thankful, I get joyful. And it just so happens as I get joyful, I get strong. <laughs> strong for the day, strong for the hour, strong for the moment. Strong for my family. Strong for my business, strong for my marriage, strong for my kids, strong for my parents, strong for my siblings, strong for this world. Come on, anybody strong in the house today? So I remember what God did. Well, how do I pray with joy? Well, he remembered what God did, but watch this. If you want to pray with joy, you have to look forward to what God will do. 
This is so good. Look at what he says. He says in Philippians chapter one, verse six, being confident. Someone say confident. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love this because Paul over and over will do this pattern. He's not just grateful for what God has done. He's excited about what God will do. And as a church, we must, remember a couple, I think last year I preached a message called Tiptoe Season. I'm on my tippy toes because I have an eager expectation that God is not done working. Every time the writers in the New Testament, they appeal to believers who are going through difficult times. They say, remember the glory that will be revealed, that we have to maintain a vision in life. We have to recognize that if God did in the past, he'll do it again in the future. And it's a hope and it's a belief and it's a faith that produces joy that I haven't seen my best days yet, that God is still doing something. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Watch this. God is not obligated to finish what you started. That's where we get hung up, right? We get mad at God. Like, where'd you go, God? And God's like, I didn't start that thing. That that was you, bro. You, 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 You started that on your own. Last summer, I took my little boys to the lake in Alabama. We loved going there as a family. And Wyatt was sitting on my lap. I've told the story before. And he was learning how to steer the boat. And every time he had the steering wheel, he would just veer off to the left, you know. And the whole time, I'm like, bro, you got to keep it straight. Like, that way. Head that way. He's like, you know, it's just like awful. Like, but he was so funny because he reminded, he reminded me of me. He kept going, daddy, Faster faster, faster. And I was like, homie, before I increase the speed, you better learn to steer. Because some of us, we're here. Faster, God! Do it again, Lord! He's like, aren't you tired of going in circle after circle after circle? Direction's more important than speed. God is not obligated to finish what you start. In fact, what you must remember, oh, church, hear me today. I love you so much. God develops you in the dark. One of the most merciful things God can do is bench us. Nah, you ain't ready for the game, bro. Sit down. Why, God? Uh, Because you only know how to run in circles. (laughs) And if I bless that or if I increase the speed there, you're going to find yourself crashing and burning in public. But because I'm a merciful God, I will correct you in private before I bless you in public. He develops in the dark. He develops in the dark. He's getting you ready. He's getting you ready. One of the most merciful things God will do is go, no, not blessing that. Not putting the speed on there. That's going to crash and burn. But, someone say but. But my God is not just a God who starts stuff. If my God starts something in your life, he doesn't just start things. 
He also finishes things. He's the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. God didn't start salvation in your life so you could wander off the path and fall back into sin and get back into the cycle. God has not brought you this far to simply bring you this far. Some of you need to recognize, get your hopes up. He's taking you on a journey. Keep following him. He's gonna finish what he starts in your life. He's doing something. And if you want joy, look forward to what he's doing. Keep your eye on the prize. Paul said in another letter, he said, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest. Somebody say, I'm due. Say, I'm due. Some of y'all in this place, you are due for a harvest. Don't give up now. Don't quit now. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep following Jesus. I'm due. I'm due. I'm not just thanking him for the past. I'm grateful for what he's about to do. Do people hang out with other do people? That's why you come to church, isn't it? Because something inside of me was started. And when I get around you, something inside of you that he started, it starts leaping for joy. It's kind of like Mary and Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth? She's in the house with Mary and what's inside of Elizabeth starts jumping around. Why? Because they're both due. And when you're due and when I'm due, we get around each other and our faith is built. I've got joy down in my heart. I'm due. I'm due. It's just a matter of time because he is the God who finishes. He's the God who completes. Not gonna finish what I start. It's not about my name. It's not about my selfish ambition, but if God is in it, and if God be for us, there is no demon in hell who can stop what God has got started. And so I don't just think back about what God has done in our church. I'm excited about what he's gonna do in our church. Any one of you who's been around this journey for a while, there's no way you could have walked into the Watsko Arena last Sunday, just a Sunday in June in Miami, and seen thousands of people gather. Now, if it's your first week, it might not do much for you. But if you started back in the apartment, you can't help but walk into that room and say, wow, I think my God is doing something. And if I will stay the course, we're going to see a great harvest come about. I believe there's coming a day that there's no room that can contain the size of this church. I believe there's going to be a day that we can't record all of the salvations that are happening. There's going to be a day that we're planting churches, not just here in Miami, but all over the world. They don't even take on the name of Voo. They're just known as Jesus houses that spread the good news of Jesus. I'm excited about what he's going to do. I believe he's restoring you and redeeming you. I believe your whole house is going to be saved. I believe that my kids in this place are going to meet Jesus. I believe they're going to be released into their God-given purpose right here in this house. I'm sticking around to see it. I've got joy. I've got joy. I remember what God has done. I look forward to what God is going to do. And then lastly, just walk into the text. If you want to pray with joy, you have to love what God is doing. Love what God is doing. God is always doing something. God is always working. God is always moving. Whether you feel it or whether you see it or not, he, he's up to something. You know, in marriage, 
there's two things I think are important to have a healthy marriage. You gotta love one another, but you also gotta like one another. I'll counsel some people, it's like, yo, I love him, but I haven't liked him in years. But love is the choice. Love, love is the most powerful thing on the planet. And so I don't have to like what God is always doing, but I have to love what he's doing. And watch this. When joy is a habit, love becomes the reflex. So when I put joy into practice, when I choose joy, I'm not letting the flight attendant take my joy. I'm not letting my boss take my joy. I'm not letting my circumstance, I'm not letting this prison cell take my joy. Because joy is the weapon in the hand of a believer. It's the strength of God. And when I practice joy, even from the prison cell, when I pray with joy, even from a bad position, the reflex is going to be love. That when I get squeezed, I can't help but stay sweet. Well, the world's sour, but what's been in me this entire time, it's sweet. Look at what he, look at what he says. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, Jesus, all of you. Since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled, watch this, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As I pray for you, I pray that your love would abound, that it would give way to deep insight, that it would give way to deep knowledge about what God has called us to do. Truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. And so as a community, we're like, I'm gonna stay here. And I might not like everything that's happening in my life, but I'm gonna keep on loving what God's doing because I think God's doing something in you and I think God's doing something in your family. Look at how Eugene Peterson records this prayer in the message version. I thought this was so beautiful. This is verse nine. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary. Life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful and fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. Let me tell you right now, this is an hour for the church. I, I, I don't walk with fear today. I think in any moment where there's confusion, we have an opportunity for the world to look upon the church and how we love one another and how we steward each other. It makes Jesus more attractive. And I wrote it down this way. I think this is helpful. If you're having a hard time seeing what God is doing in your life, celebrate what he's doing in someone else's. 
this is how I pray with joy. I love what God's doing. I don't like what he's doing right now in my life. I don't like the prison. I can't, I, Paul will go on to say that he's grateful even for the chains. He's another level. We're gonna get there. I don't, I, don't, I don't like all the challenge and all the circumstance. I don't like all the cards I've been dealt, but man, I love that God's doing something. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm praying for you and I love you. And you and I together, we're better together than we are apart. And I know we don't agree on everything always, but yo, let's stay together because we're gonna sharpen each other. We're gonna get an edge as we stay sharp and friction in conversation and sticking in it. I know it's messy and I know it's difficult. I know it's hard, but I love you, bro. And I believe God's doing something in your life. And I wanna recognize it. I wanna notice that. And I wanna acknowledge that. I don't like everything he's doing in my life. I'm gonna celebrate what he's doing in yours. And it's crazy how joy starts to erupt. Don you and I, we recognized this when we were going through our journey of infertility. Eight years, we could not have kids. Always dreamed about being a dad. Always wanted to be a dad. Greatest joy in my life is being a dad. But for eight years, that looked like that was never gonna happen. And we made a decision, the two of us, saying, you know what? Every time someone around us gets pregnant, we're about to be the biggest cheerleaders the world has ever seen. Because we're gonna celebrate it. We might not be able to have kids, but we can have joy. I'm gonna celebrate my coworkers' promotion. I might not get promoted, but I got joy. Who's winning now? I might not get healed, but I'm gonna celebrate your healing. I'm gonna celebrate your miracle. And it's just, it's amazing. As I do for others, God starts doing for me. And I just gotta, You don't all walk in my shoes every day, and so you don't get to see everything that I see, but maybe you could turn the media on the day. It could look like, man, the church is fighting and the, there's division in the church, but I gotta also say there's another story, and there's another story that God is doing something in the church. It's purifying, it's building, it's establishing, he's uniting, he's showing up. I've just, I mean, the last few weeks, I've just had a front row seat to watch God's miraculous power. I was in South Africa uh, a few weeks ago preaching at a church in Johannesburg. I preached to thousands of young adults. Hundreds came to know Jesus in Joburg. I mean, God is doing something in South Africa. I watched it with my own eyes. I, I just got back. I, I probably wasn't the smartest planning of my itinerary, but I preached a pastor's conference in Cleveland, Ohio, Thursday and Friday. Watch this. I was the first white man to ever be invited to this conference. I gotta be I, I was so humbled at their humility. These men of God, many of which led through civil rights and segregation, and many of which have grown up in a church with a, even a different theological framework, but an invitation was made to me out of their humility to say, we think that there's something on your life and in your life that we could learn from. And I'm just going, whoa, this is special. People breaking traditions, breaking down walls and barriers and inviting people in for a conversation. I'm telling you what, God is working. God is doing something. I love what he's doing. I love what he's doing. Yo. We filled an arena in Miami last yes. Sunday. No glory to us, glory to God, he's doing something. We baptized 227 people.
I just witness and testify, I love, I love what God's doing. I don't always like it, but I love what God's doing. And I celebrate that God's doing something in your life. When I can't see it in mine, I just choose to celebrate what he's doing in yours. Isn't it amazing the power of a perspective change? You can sit for a moment because I know I'm I'm closing. I didn't get to share this at 9 a.m., but I just wanted to tell it. We're going we're to pray and we'll sing. Just give me a moment, Richie. Um, I, uh, just one little perspective change. I think sometimes when we remember things, we look back, we have a tendency to remember the bad and forget the good. I think maturity in the Lord is, yo, I'm going huh, to forget the bad and remember the good, you know? I think maturing the Lord is, yo, I haven't seen it happen yet, but I'm confident that he who started this thing in me is going to do something. And I love what God is doing, even when I can't see it happen in my life. Boot conference. Dude, I was so scared. You're not supposed to lead that way. Next week, I'm really scared. Show up. But that's how I felt. I was like, this is, what are we doing? This is a big deal. Is this the right move? I'm asking people to do a lot. And God, I want this to be about you. So we're celebrating, right? Because I mean, like, God showed up and he met us. And it was beautiful. Once again, you know, it's like, Rich, you're, you're so weak, dude. Like, how many times does God have to bless you before you just trust him, you know? But I remember I was just like going through conference and I was just, I had this schedule. It's just insane that you don't have to, my life is awesome. But I got done doing this. It's like, they don't care, Rich. Um, it was so hard. No, it was amazing. And I got done doing this session. This girl, she came up to me in a wheelchair. And it was in the lunch break to the afternoon session, and I sat down, and for 15 minutes, she just began to unload her story about how she was in a car accident in her freshman year of college. For the last 10 years, she hasn't been able to walk, but dancing is her passion. And I was blown away as I'm watching this girl in this awful position, in awful situation by almost anyone's standards. Yet what was shocking and what was ministering to me on the deepest level of who I am was the joy that was coming out of her. She said, I know doctors told me I'll never walk again, but I just still have faith that one day I will dance before the Lord again. She said, Rich, don't feel bad for me. God has been so good to me. It's an honor to be at this conference. I wanted to come. I've wanted to meet you. I can't believe I'm getting to meet you. I'm sitting here going, you are the worst pastor in the world. This girl from a wheelchair is telling you what a joy it is to meet you. Little does she know that in your mind the last two days, you've been complaining and doubting and full of fear. And here she is with a situation and a position that looks awful, but somehow she's gotten a revelation that it's about Jesus and other people. And from her lowest point, she is testifying about the faithfulness of God. And I just stood back and said, I'm having a perspective change. I love what God is doing in your life, young lady. And today, I think we did this whole conference that I might meet you. time for a perspective change this summer. Just a little perspective change. Just a little perspective change. You don't have to like what God's doing, but you can love what he's doing. God, I love what you're doing. 
you're doing stuff in people around me. God, I thank you for my church. I thank you for my crew. Think about my crew this week. Oh, God, thank you that I got some men and women that I can just let my guard down, that love me and pray for me and that we're in partnership and none of us are perfect and we don't agree on everything, but man, we're doing it together. I'm reminded of God's faithfulness in their life. I'm excited about what he's gonna do and I love what he's doing in the midst of us right now. And with it, I pray the prayer of joy and the art of joy starts to show up. I get stronger. I keep moving. I don't quit. The best really is yet to come. Do you believe that today? Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to him, we wanna create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps on your faith journey. Go to rootchurch.com slash online. We love you.